Happy New Year. And uh, has anybody here ever bothered doing a New Year's resolution? I've never done it because it's always been kind of a running joke, but I'm actually going to do it this year. Um, my New Year's resolution, and I'm saying this in front of you because that way you all am kind of giving you license to call me out if I don't follow through with it, but I've decided that you're going to see a lot less of me this year. The plan is starting, you know, I've got like two more days to ruin myself before I kick it into gear and I'm going to lose some weight. I want to lose some weight um, in multiple ways, though. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a, in a weird way today because we're, I want to take the pressure off of us because it's all about him and not about us. So today we're going to talk about letting your light shine, your little light shine. You know, we, we are imagers of God. God created us in his image, and that's what makes us special. That's what makes us worthy of being saved. Um, him going through the trouble, or like Mitchell said, recklessly forever coming back for us, going after the one after, you know, and leaving the 99, because we're all imagers. And that includes people we don't like, and that includes... Frankly, bad people, people that we would consider bad, the criminals, the violent folks, the folks that do terrible things, they have a soul as well. And they have an eternity after this life as well. So today we're going to talk about letting our little light shine. And uh, this could be a good New Year's resolution for all of us to work on. And with the idea, Happy New Year is, is, is great, because I actually looked up the old, I can never pronounce it properly, what they sing at the end of It's a Wonderful Life. Old ends, sny, nigh, sny. I say it, but I say it in a crowd so no one knows I'm butchering it. I have no idea what I'm saying. But I actually looked it up, and I was going to do something on that. Like, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't really mean anything. It just, it's, it's a Scottish term of, like, basically just old connections, and the song isn't saying forget about the past. It's saying you shouldn't forget about the past. Those relationships matter. So when we say Happy New Year, I have to ask, is it? Is it a Happy New Year for you? How was your year? Was it a hard year? Was it a good year? Either way, you know, if you, if you really, really want to like break down what a year is and, and everybody's tight kind of says it's like a new beginning, well, if 23 was a great year for you, you know, 24, there's a lot of unknowns coming down the road. And if 23 was a terrible for, year for you, there's still a lot of unknowns, but at least you, you're hoping for a better year. So are you stressed? Are you overwhelmed about what the future has in store for you? I know I do sometimes. Not necessarily always for myself, but of course my family my grandkids. It helped me a little bit this morning with this subject. My wife sent me a video talking about when Charlie Brown Christmas was released. When that cartoon came out, the, the um, ABC, NBC, whatever the network was, they were scared to release that cartoon because Luke is pretty much read in there talking about the birth of Jesus. And they were worried about, like, how are people going to react? And what was it, like 1964 or something like that? I believe it was. Then, we keep thinking like today, everything's like, you know, we're, we're going to hell in a handbasket. Back then, they were worried about offending people with the name of Jesus. And then when I started thinking about it this morning, the church was born into pain. Church was born into troubles. 
So we can't fall back and look today, look at today and say it's worse today than it was then. Because you know what? The, the, the fields are still white and they're ready to be harvested and we have a job to do. So if you're struggling, I just want you to know you're not alone today. There may be other people in this room struggling and the good news is they're not alone either. We're not alone here today. We have each other and of course we have the Lord. I'm going to be reading out of Psalm 139 today. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. That verse should freeze you in your tracks. That's terrifying. You know when I sit down you or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Ugh. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. So he knows pre-filtered Alex. You go before me and follow... Roger laughs because he knows. He doesn't always get pre-filtered Alex. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. Now this is written by David. David was a warrior king. David's whole life was persecution and pain, followed up by bad decision-making, and then having to deal with the after-effects of making bad decisions. And he still had the title of a man after God's own heart. It's interesting. So how do you let your little light shine? First, like David, acknowledge how much God loves you. Yes, we understand that God sent His Son to die for each and every one of us. But He doesn't stop there. He's with you every second of the day. He knows your thoughts. He blesses you. God loves you so much. So let that soak in for a second. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. You can't get away from him. Why would you want to? He already knows what you're doing. David already wrote that part, right? He sees what you're doing. He knows your thoughts before you think them. So why, why avoid him? It doesn't do any good. He's everywhere you can go. From heaven to the grave. Things that we think of as bad sometimes. When God did creation, he called good. We have to understand that God has a different perspective than we do. And he's everywhere. For you and for me. So how do we let our little light shine? We remember how much God loves us. It's one thing to know it. It's one thing to accept him as savior. But man, oh man, if we can forget that. Our light dims dramatically, doesn't it? We can let this world overwhelm us. We can start watching the news a lot. And we can start worrying about things that we have no control over on far-flung corners of this earth. We can start, start worrying about things that may or may not ever happen. I made the joke last time I spoke about the whole convenience store bear thing. I still do it. Talking about it up here didn't help me. I'm still working on it. I worry about things that I have no control over. Because sometimes I can forget how much he loves me. 
He doesn't promise that things are all going to be perfect. I know there's going to come a time when I'm going to die. Just a fact. But in a moment here, we're going to talk to you about why we can still trust Him even through that. Because we are not alone. You are not alone. I could ask the darkness to hide me from and the light around me to become night. But even in the darkness, I cannot hide from you. And to you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Keep that in mind here in a few minutes. How do you let your light, little light shine? Don't hide from God. Don't avoid God. Remember how, know He loves you. Remember how much He loves you. And stop hiding from Him in your hard times. If you hide away, you run away from Him, He's still with you. You're just pretending He doesn't. You've got blinders on. You're keeping your eyes closed. As a child, when you're scared that something's in your room, you close your eyes and pull your covers over your head. But if something was in the room, it's still there, isn't it? It's not protecting you. So let's open our eyes and let's keep running to, fa- to our Father God. Because He's with you, all- you always. Let your little light shine. Good, quick question for you. Do you believe in miracles? I'm glad to hear a lot of you say you do. And I'm not talking necessarily about the miracles that we kind of look for. Like when I look at Scripture, people having their vision restored, you know, being, the lame being able to walk, the, the, the mutes can speak, the deaf can hear, the dead rising. Most of us, many of us, may or will not experience those kind of things in our lives. But there's lots and lots of miracles Lots of miracles that we experience on a daily basis that we're not looking for and not seeing. So we should believe in miracles. If not, if you're somebody in here that goes, there's no such thing as miracles, I challenge you to look in the mirror. Look in the mirror and and see what an amazing thing God has created in you. The fact that you're here to begin with on a rock that's floating through infinite nothingness is pretty miraculous. That you are the exact distance away from the sun it takes so that you don't freeze to death or roast like a, like a corn, uh, uh, corn kernel. Any difference, and life doesn't exist here. So if you start doubting there's a God, you start doubting that there's miracles still, just take a look in the mirror. And remember, you're still breathing. The Bible says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. David says, thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, when I read that scripture initially, I was like, what does that mean? Because I'm not, forgive me, please don't run out the door, but I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe like predestination stuff. Don't do it, Steve. Um, 
I don't, I believe you have the chance, you have an opportunity to get saved. Everybody does. Everybody can ask Jesus for forgiveness. There's not like a predetermined number of people. I know that word predestination is in the Bible, but I'm going to make a point in my, in favor of my argument here in a second. But going back to this scripture, I looked at a different Old Testament version of the Bible that comes from the original Hebrew. It's the Orthodox Jewish Bible. And the way it's worded here, it says, Thine eyes did see my golem, my substance, the body here, yet being unformed in thy sefer, in the book, in the yam, and the days ordained for me were written down, and as yet of none of them. The way I take that is, He knows the day you're born, and He knows the day you're going to die. And if David's saying that he's there at the moment of your conception, at the moment of your creation, and he sees you being formed in your mother's womb, and that he's going to be there to the end of your days, we shouldn't be worrying about things we can't control. Because he was there then, and he's going to be there the day you die. God is in control of your life in that way. He already knows What's going to happen? It's an interesting story. David also, uh, it's a story about David in 2 Samuel. He's, he, he had liberated this town called Kiefer. And he took refuge in Kiefer after liberating it. And it was, a, it was a walled city with a single entrance, a single gate to it. So it was a pretty safe place to be unless... King Saul finds out and decides to bring his army down and starve the city out, which is exactly what happens. David gets word of it, though, before Saul shows up. And he goes to God and goes, will the king of Kiefer turn me over to Saul? And God tells him, yeah, he will. So God's telling him what's going to happen if he doesn't make a good decision. So what, is ha- what happens? David does a smart thing and he leaves. Saul shows up. David's not there. So Saul goes home. Does that make God wrong about the fact that Saul would have starved out that city? No. There's two possible outcomes to m- most scenarios. And the point I'm trying to make to you here today is when people have a choice to choose Jesus... Or deny Jesus, they're making a decision. God already knows. That's where that preordained idea comes from. God already knows what decision you're going to make. But because he's God, and like David said, I don't understand how it all works. And I don't know how, how God can do all he does. But he does it. And he knows what you're going to do before you do it. So if that makes sense to you, that's what I'm trying to say as far as the idea that being predetermined here and and just saying, well, I don't have to do stuff. I don't have to worry about my light shining. I don't have to do I don't have to listen. I can do whatever I want whenever I want isn't correct. Because while the outcome may be already mapped out in, in God's heart and he already knows what's going to happen, we still need to be active so that his will can come into fruition. So please, I just, I'm, be- I'm begging you today to keep that in mind and keep that in your heart. If you sit here and go, the world is going crazy. What can I do? 
You know, I mean, Israel's on fire. What do I do? I'm just not going to do anything. Well, you know what? Englewood isn't on fire. Not yet. And praise God, we have an opportunity to still reach people right here in town. So this is where, where we are to work. Not worrying about stuff everywhere and anywhere. You're not alone. The point of this is that you're not alone. God is with you. He knows you. He loves you. And He is the author and finisher of all things. You can have faith in Him. And you can trust Him. And here's some proof of that. What this is, it's not a black hole. That's you. That's a cell. And the video was the moment of conception. And the amazing thing that was supposed to be illustrated here was that the, at the very moment of conception, this is science, and science will tell you, and, it, and I'm not saying it's untrue, but there's a, there's a dispersion of zinc. But it looks like a flash of light at the very moment of conception. And this is all, I'm, I'm kind of trying to lay it out here showing how God plans things, how God organizes things. Because at the moment of conception, there's a flash of light, and who knows what happens to the baby next, the cell next. It divides immediately. Division happens. Now, I'm going to jump all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, the first three days of creation. What is God doing there? You can put that next slide up, brother. He is dividing things. First day calls for light. It says it was good. Now, mind you, the sun isn't created until day four. Where is this light coming from? This is the light of God. This is the light that allows life to exist. This is the light separating good from bad. The light from the darkness. Imagine pre-creation as your silverware drawer without a silverware divider. Just chaos. Or your junk drawer, which is probably currently chaos. You come along and you start dividing things. Organization starts to happen. You're creating something here. So I find it interesting on, at the very beginning of time, God divides the waters from the, from the, from the, from the bottom to the up, divides the, the uh, light from the dark, the waters from the land. He's organizing. He's creating. But first, there's a flash of light, isn't there? And then there's division. What are you guys? You started as a flash of light, and you started with division. And kept multiplying and multiplying until you were wonderfully made in your mother's womb. Regardless of how pretty or not you are, it doesn't matter. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if that's not a miracle to you, if this isn't a miracle to you, I got one more thing for you. Imagine this, E. coli. I'm going to ask you about E. coli. You know what E. coli is? So something you eat something is bad for you and you have a bellyache, a really bad bellyache. And some people end up in the hospital with it. But the E. coli bacterium has a motor on it called a flagellum. It's a little like rotor thing and that's how they get around. They've got like a little whippy tail and they zip around 
And they, they go around like that. There's over 20 pieces just in the little motor thing. None of them make sense on their own by themselves. God had to build it exactly the way it is today and not through like some form of like, oops, that doesn't work. I'm going to try something new because I'm a mindless cell. That's what evolution teaches you. If you're out here saying I'm not a miracle, I'm just a byproduct of some explosion, which even most people are saying that's not even true anymore. Now we're just starting to say, oh, it was probably aliens because we can't figure out the other thing. That doesn't make any sense. We're going to say it was aliens instead. And, you know, it had to have been that. And we'll just deal with where they came from later. That's science for you today. And I'm not, I'm not an anti-science guy whatsoever, but my goodness, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If this microscopic organism that you can't see, touch, smell, has 20 parts in one little part of it, and that part functions perfectly and does its job, because it's good and bad, you know, that, that's with, with these things. But if it does its job, imagine how, how beautifully made you are. So when you look in the mirror, see that miracle that you are and let your little light shine. He made you and he loves you. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. So do you believe in miracles yet? I hope so. But if you're not, you're missing out. There's so many little things we can be looking for. I don't know if you guys ever just walk through your yard and just... Wonder how things landed where they landed, how things came to be. I, my eyes were opened to the idea that God existed because of nature. That was my initiation into even considering that God was true and that Jesus was, was his son and he died for my sins. But it started by learning about evolution and having a football coach go, Next chapter is on evolution, it, and forgive me, I know it's, it's but he, he said it in the classroom. He goes, it's a bunch of meh, and we're going to move on to the next subject. He skipped the entire thing, and that perked my ears up. One, because I didn't want to do it, and two, that was really weird. I'd never heard a teacher do that before. So I started digging into it. And I started looking, and I started to see, like, how do these things work? Why would they work the way they work? And none of it seems like an accident when you really pay attention. When I think of, I'm sorry, but on the miraculous, when I think of things like my grandchildren, like my children, like my relationship with my wife, none of it has been an accident in my world. And I know a a lot of folks go through pain in relationships, But when I look at my grandkids, and as much as they can cause pain sometimes, they drive you a little bit not so, there's nothing more miraculous than those little lives to me. And somebody can come along and tell you you're not important. I tell you again to look in the mirror. When my my daughter was pregnant with our granddaughter, the doctor came to her and said, we think there could be a a problem. And they told her that abortion was a, a viable option at this point. My granddaughter is the most well put together, lively child with no problems, no defects. 
And but praise God, my daughter's a strong person. And she looked at that doctor and probably wanted to wring his neck, but she still needed the guy to get the baby out. But that is a miracle to me. That my, my, my daughter could look at that and, ha- and listen to her heart, listen to the Lord, and, and basically tell a doctor to go shove off. I'm not killing my baby because maybe there's a chance. Those are miracles. And I guarantee if you sit here and you think about it, there are miracles in your life. And the reason why I'm pointing out miracles today is because you're a miracle. And you're special and you have value and you have a job to do. Even in the dark, miracles don't always mean sunshine and lollipops, though. That's the one thing about he, he, David goes on here to say, and that's something else I'm, I'm losing track because I'm rambling so much. But David goes down a little bit of a dark road here. He's so positive, 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 And then he starts to say, oh, God, if you would only destroy the wicked, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those uh, uh, who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. Now, this is a man after God's own heart. He's a warrior king. But this isn't a golden ticket for us to hate folks. That's not part of your miracle. Part of the miracle is loving people who you really have a hard time loving. Because I can love my wife, my children, my grandchildren. It's easy to love them. But man, is it hard to love somebody who I just want to choke to death. David here is expressing his uncompromising loyalty to God. Remember, he's a warrior king. He is at his disposal, disposal armies of men that could go wipe out pretty much whoever he'd like to wipe out at this point. Along, he's uncompromisingly loyal to God, along with his trust. Otherwise, this warrior king would have taken things into his own hands. So obviously, God hates things that are against his will. He hates the fact that a single person in this room could spend eternity in hell. He hates it. But we have to trust him. We have to love him enough and trust him enough. To let him deal with those things. And let our light shine through those things. The things we're most inspired by are the, are the folks that go through hard times and then, but come out on top. Not the people that are just getting, doing an eye for an eye. It might be fun to watch in a movie. Who doesn't like John Wick? You kill a puppy, you slaughter 3,000 people. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. It's insanity that we look at to those things and think it's a viable option to humble ourselves, to love our enemies as the Lord commanded us to do so, is a way of letting our light shine. So how do you let your little light shine and overcome adversity? Get all in with God. Let Him shape you without trying to bargain and compromise. I love that song, the 46th Psalm song. Say that's five times fast. It's when, he's, when he says... Come wrestle me with me, Lord, and win. That hit me so hard. Because isn't that like the most us thing to do? I know I'm going to lose, but I'm going to push you anyway, God. I'm going to fight against you anyway. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That's how you get close to God. That's how your light gets bright. By submitting to Him. So how do you let your little light shine? Acknowledge how much He loves you. Remember how, that, how much God loves you. Don't hide from Him. Choose to love Him back. By humbling yourself. Doing as He commands. Submitting yourself to Him. Believe in and look for miracles. It helps. It helps to walk, go down to the beach and walk and see that sunset and think, wow, we have an awesome God. Because if that thing was any closer, I'd be toast, burnt toast. And last but most importantly, let the God who loves you, made you, And never leave or forsake you. Shape you. It's all in His Word. I encourage you to plug into a Bible study. Get into God's Word daily. Let Him shape you. David asked for his heart to be searched. Sometimes we get so caught up in our own day-to-day, we forget good from bad in our own lives. We're so busy looking at what the neighbor's doing, we forget what we're doing. Ask God, to search your heart, to show you, to wrestle you to the ground and help you submit so that he can work you like the potter and the clay and make you something worthy of reflecting his light because that's where the pressure comes off. Remembering that we are his imagers. It's not our job to get out there and to fix the world. It's just our job to reflect him. Like the sun reflects on the moon, like the moon gives no light, the moon reflects the sun. We're to reflect a holy God and be a reflection of him in this world. That's how you let your little light shine. Understanding and humility that you're loved, you matter, you're wonderfully made, and that God loves you more than anything. Again, thank you so much for being here. God bless you all. And before I let you go, I just want to, uh, you know, ask, make sure anybody here in this room knows Jesus, because the only thing separating you from an eternity in heaven or an eternity in hell, and it's an interesting thing, is 21 grams. 21 grams, it's an interesting thing. I did a little research on it in the last couple of weeks, and a gentleman did a test with people who were dying. And when they weigh, you can look this up, and people can't dispute it, and no one has tried to repeat it, which is interesting to me, because science, I think, is scared to prove something that they don't want to talk about. When you die, if you're on a super calibrated scale, the average person loses 21 grams at the moment of death. And the hypothesis and the theory here is that that's your soul departing your body. To think that if we could prove that, how many people would have to second-guess their atheism? It's astounding to me. But that's the only thing separating you. So if you have, don't remember a time, 
If you can't sit here and go, I can picture in my mind the moment I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the moment I asked him into my heart and asked him to save me of my sins, trusted in him 100%, got all in on Jesus. You didn't put anything to the side. You didn't go, well, I'm going to continue to do things my way, Lord, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start going to church on, on Easter and Christmas. And if today isn't your first time here, and it's like your New Year's resolution to start coming to church, good for you. Good for you. And pray for those that maybe are thinking that this week, and they got a whole week to get through before they show up to church next Sunday. But again, I pray for you this morning. If you have not asked Jesus into your life, pray with me now, and then we're going to let you go again. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, I like to say it's just as easy as ABC because he did all the work for us on Calvary's cross. A, accept the fact that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. You don't have to understand it. You don't have to be able to explain it to anybody. I can't because he's God and I'm not. David didn't get it all. He was a man after God's own heart. But most importantly is C, choose. Choose Jesus. Trust him. Ask him into your heart today and ask him to save you from your sins. Let's pray. Father God, we humbly come to you today, Lord, and we ask you, For anybody in this room who's got a hardened heart this morning, that their heart be softened for you, Lord, and that they may come to you in the eternal knowledge of your love and trust you today, Lord, and pray along with me right now. Father God, I know I'm a sinner. I've I've fallen short of you. And Lord, I've done stuff wrong. And I ask you to forgive me today, Lord, because I believe that you died on the cross And you rose from the dead for me, Lord. And Lord, I choose you today, Lord. I trust you today, Lord. And I'm putting it all on you. I ask you into my heart. I ask you to save me, Lord. Help me, Lord, to grow in you. Not for salvation. You've already done the work for me, Lord. But so that I can grow in you, Lord. So that others may come to know you as well. And Lord, I do this in your holy name. Amen.